Welcome to Out of Order, and this is the Transatlantic Take edition, um, where I get some colleagues around a transatlantic table. I'm Rachel Talzenfreund, and this week we are talking about the United States, the return of the United States to the world stage after a whirlwind of foreign policy activity last week by the Biden administration. So I have uh, three colleagues with me, Michal Baranowski. Michel Baranowski from our Warsaw office. He's the head of our Warsaw office and works on NATO security, defense, uh, transatlantic relations. Hi, Michal. Hey, great to uh, be here. And joining us from London is Garima Mohan. She is our Indo-Pacific Indian-EU relations expert um, and a fellow in our Asia program. Hi, Garima. Hi, Rachel. Uh, and finally, Stephen Kyle, who is a security and defense fellow with us from the DC office. Hey, Stephen. Hey, Rachel. Uh, and I, am usual, am in Berlin. So it's been five weeks now um, with the Biden administration in place. And not only did they hit the ground running, they kind of seemed to be sprinting. And last week was the sort of foreign policy sprint version, at least it seemed like it. Um after a kind of flurry of executive orders and um, lots of different domestic policy and international policy initiatives in the first two weeks, uh, twice as many as the Trump administration, almost twice as many um, as the Obama administration last week, um, was a kind of crazy foreign policy agenda um, with lots of important um, high-stakes meetings and speeches. So between Wednesday and Friday of last week, there was a NATO defense ministerial, there was a quad meeting, there was the G7 hosted by the UK, and on the same day, Joe Biden became the first or was the first US president to um, speak at the Munich Security Conference virtual edition. Um, and he was joined at Munich by Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel, France's Emmanuel Macron, uh, Boris Johnson from the UK, uh, EU President Ursula von der Leyen, uh, NATO Secretary Jen, um, Jens Stoltenberg. So it was it was quite odd. Did I mention UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson? I can't forget him. I did. Okay. Um, NATO Secretary Jen um, um, Stoltenberg and others, including Bill Gates. So it was it was it was quite the uh, virtual event. So before we, however, get to Munich, which I think uh, is going to be an interesting conversation, I wanted to start with the defense ministerial and you, Stephen. Uh, I think it was the day before the ministerial, um, the new U.S. Um, Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, he published an op-ed, which is not exactly normal procedure. I'm, it's probably done done before, but it's not uh, it's it's not the normal turn of events. And the last three lines, uh, just to sort of give a sense of the op-ed, were, uh, we are ready to consult together, decide together, and act together. We are ready to revitalize our alliances. We are ready to lead. So there's sort of messaging. We'll hear it again from Biden, very consistent messaging. Um, and how did it work out then at the defense ministerial? Was it a kind of clear you know, momentum of revitalization? What were the important things that came out of it? Yeah, well, thanks again, Rachel, um, for letting me join today. I, I mean, I think there's a probably just a clearer place to start at. And I think that 
um, the op-ed and a lot of the action that we've seen taken by the Biden administration thus far just signals their intention to restore what they think has been a damaged transatlantic relationship and a damaged approach to multilateralism. Um, I think Austin's op-ed was essentially that. It was it was a, a long letter to allies who I think have experienced a tumultuous four years. Um, I think the specific lines that you mentioned about consultation and, and acting in cooperation um, are specifically in contrast to some of the actions that we saw under the Trump administration as it related to key security issues that were facing Europe. This included withdrawal from the INF Treaty, which initially was announced without consultation with allies. This included um, no longer helping um, the Kurds in northern Iraq, or I'm sorry, northern Syria, um, and withdrawing support for them without consultation with allies. Again, I think that there was this this meta-narrative that came out of the Trump administration that really stoked, unfortunately, a lot of concern, a lot of frustration um, about the character of American foreign policy with our allies. And really, I think what uh, the Secretary of Defense was trying to do was to send a clear message about what the next four years are going to look like. Um, going into this, the, the meeting itself, the ministerial, I don't, I don't know if there was anything quite earth-shattering about it. Really, it's an introduction, I think, if more than anything. It is the the formal uh, culmination of, I think, all these other things we've been seeing in the background. And and the agenda was pretty standard and laid out by the Secretary General before the things that were going to be discussed were discussed, including NATO 2030, um, the Secretary General's initiative to kind of rethink the the transatlantic security agenda going into the summer. This also included um, what, what allies were going to do in Iraq and what allies are going to do in Afghanistan and other key issues around resilience um, and issues like climate change. I mean, it was a robust agenda, but it essentially it kind of reintroduced all the allies to American leadership um, across these these multilateral issues that NATO has to address. Uh, thanks. Yes. And I mean, as you said, it was a sort of a lot of painting the picture. And in terms of uh, specific kind of concrete things, um, there was an Iraq decision to expand training, and there was a decision to not decide yet about Afghanistan, right? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I think clearly um, there are different there are different um, political um, there are different voices within the NATO alliance that I think are pulling at specific priorities within the partnership. I mean, clearly. This mission in Iraq has been a burden-sharing question between the U.S. and Europe for quite some time, and I think this recommitment um, signals positive a positive direction for both U.S. Um, and European partners and European allies. Um, I think the, the Afghanistan issue was essentially a punt. Um, it, it was, we're not in the place yet to make a decision. Um, we're still respecting the peace process that's unfolding there. We want to create stability. Um, we are committed to staying, but really what that formally will look like is is to be decided yet. Okay, thanks. So, and on to a sort of different meeting, uh, but also with a security focus with some partners. While Secretary of Defense uh, Lloyd Austin was meeting with NATO allies, Secretary of State Tony Blinken um, met with a newer grouping of uh, partners around the Indo-Pacific that is referred to as the Quad, and I believe this was a meeting that, you know, China was hoping it wouldn't happen, um, but it did happen. And it happened, you know, at the within the first month of the Biden administration. So what what is the quad all about and what does it mean that um, that Blinken not only joined the meeting, I think he even sort of called the meeting. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um 
So I think when we are talking about signals from the Biden administration, this was a very important one. And I should specify which quad we are talking about because there are several quads being referred to, including uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson referring to a new quad at the Munich Security Conference. Uh, so this, of course, is a grouping of the United States, Japan, Australia and India um, created to sort of protect and underline rules-based international order in the Indo-Pacific, even though they never specifically talk about China, all of their actions are aimed at preserving international rules and norms that are being questioned and challenged by China on several fronts. So I think this meeting was important, Rachel, because um, there were several questions around the fate of the Quad, um, the US's focus on the Indo-Pacific, and even its use of the phrase free and open Indo-Pacific. Um, a lot of commentators, especially in the U.S., were associating it with the Trump administration, even though the idea comes from the region, from Japan particularly. And um, for countries across the board, including China, there were lots of questions whether Biden would continue to use the term to focus on um, platforms like the Quad. Um, the Quad was also upgraded to a ministerial meeting under the Trump administration. So, of course, you know, there were lots of questions around it. And I think by this meeting um, and also by his remarks at the Munich Security Conference, uh, the Biden administration has really doubled down that it will continue to focus on the Indo-Pacific. And in fact, it will be one of the most important priority areas for their foreign policy more generally. So we've seen several statements from Lloyd Austin, Blinken and Sullivan, but then of course the Quad Ministerial meeting so early on in the administration. I think this is a very important signal to the region. Um, and they discussed sort of a broad plethora of issues, including um, COVID-19, climate change, uh, the developments in Myanmar, um, and then the usual sort of quad stuff, which is always maritime security, infrastructure, cybersecurity, combating disinformation, all of these sort of China-centered problems. Um, what was also interesting is they also spoke about Europe. They said a lot of countries are being proactive and taking interest in the Indo-Pacific. And there they especially mentioned Europe as well, uh, which also ties to, I think, a few remarks at the MSC later on. Uh, but I think this grouping will continue to be quite important. It is one of the forums that mark the Indo-Pacific region. Uh, but I think so early on by focusing on it, really, we can see that um, this will be one of the key channels for the Biden administration to work with partners and allies in the region. And so I assume uh, the partners and allies involved, including India, were, you know, we're quite happy about this signal, happy that the meeting took place. And um, was, was there any kind of messaging coming out of it from, for example, um, India? Yeah, so it's interesting that every single country does a different readout. So there are no joint statements and they choose to, you know, focus on whatever they want to underline. And I think it's mostly symbolic. It's largely symbolic. I think countries are quite happy in the region that this meeting took place. Um, as I said, it reaffirms the whole, you know, faith in the free and open Indo-Pacific idea. And then every country underlined different things. So so India really spoke about uh, Japan, for example, spoke about um, the Chinese Coast Guard law. Um, so really countries pick and choose what they want to highlight. 
But the idea is to send a signal to the region, also to China, that these sort of players are coordinating, working together. Um, and this will continue to be an important platform. One thing I have to say is they agreed to make these ministerial level meetings annual. Um, so institutionalizing the quad more and more. I think that's an important observation. And uh, they'll continue additional meetings. They do it at several levels of, you know, military leaders, bureaucrats, etc. But the ministerial bit will be institutionalized. So I think that's a pretty big signal. That is a pretty big signal. So the... Um, on to Munich, which we've already mentioned a couple of times. So, you know, the Munich Security Conference is uh, normally in person in uh, in southern Germany at the Bayerische Hof, uh, big hotel. Uh, and it's, it is a place where you normally do have a lot of, you know, heads of states, foreign ministers, uh, secretaries of defense, these kinds of um, figures that are giving speeches. Um, that said, this virtual edition um, had quite the lineup. Um, but because it wasn't a panel discussion, you had sort of, you know, four or five speeches right after each other that didn't necessarily comment on the speech, uh, before, which was, which was its own kind of interesting, you know, uh, exercise in reading between the lines and what, uh, what, where the overlaps were and where, where they weren't. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't a single, it wasn't a signal, it was a quote. I think there wasn't a single newspaper in Germany that didn't feature Biden's quote, America is back on the front page uh, the day after. I mean, this was the big quote. He, he said, America is back, the transatlantic alliance is back, and went on in this kind of messaging. So, uh, Michal, I'm going to start with you. Um, Poland is arguably, right, the Italians and Spaniards might disagree with me, but arguably uh, the most important European country whose leader was not speaking at uh, this new virtual Munich Security Conference. So um, what what was the sort of Polish reaction to, first of all, to, you know, Biden's big announcement of America being back, uh, but also to the uh, Macron and uh, Merkel speeches? Thanks, Rachel. Uh, yeah, Poland is fifth biggest country in the EU uh, and President Duda, our prime minister, have not spoken there, nor actually did they speak with President Biden just yet, which is an interesting uh, tidbit. Um, um, ah, I didn't know that, actually. Uh, yes. So this was one of the things that was highlighted here, that uh, <laughs> others are having speeches while we, we haven't gotten a, a phone call. Uh, there was a there was a phone call from Jake Sullivan and and uh, Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense, um, but not yet from from the White House uh, itself. Um, look, in Warsaw, the perception of last four years have been different than in many other countries in uh, in in Western Europe in particular. I, I sometimes joke that you know when President Biden. Uh, when Joe Biden won the presidency, there was a sigh of relief in uh, Western Europe while the elites uh, or the government in Poland just <gasps> held their breath because they didn't know what to expect. Um, and I think we, I mean, Warsaw is still holding the, its breath. There hasn't been a whole lot of conversation nor a whole lot of the new ideas. Um, uh, so, you know, from Warsaw's perspective, America never left. Um, uh, the troops have been uh, been here. Uh, the presence have been increasing, and um, and one of the one of the reaction that is not in any statements, but you can see it between the 
between the line uh, between the lines is that Biden's focus on values on democracies um, something that was actually then picked up by both Merkel and Macron is uh, uh, a potential big trouble for the uh, current Polish government because of the um, problems with democratic norms and institutions that we are now experiencing over here. And that's probably actually one of the reasons why there hasn't been a, a phone call just yet. So that would be the reaction in Warsaw for a moment. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the Polish view on this is 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 an interesting one. Um, but I know we talked about it earlier and um, you were saying that sort of the interesting thing about the speeches were uh, were the disagreements that were just under the surface um, of all these kind of agreements at the top. So first of all, tell me what you mean about that. And then I'm going to um, uh, ask Arima and Steven, because there, there's a lot of things to, to sort of read out of the comparison between the three or, you know, four, if you want to include Boris Johnson, which I uh, didn't, but uh, but one certainly could. Yeah, you know, you, you know you, you, it's interesting you pointed out this wasn't a panel, but it was certainly a series of speeches that you should compare. And as a as a good analyst, I uh, made myself a little table comparing those, uh, which I will not share on the podcast entirely. But I, I think there are three three questions, uh, and I looked at the three three speeches through prism of three questions. Uh, one is, uh, do everyone agree that America is back? Uh, second question is, what do we do about Russia? And third, what do we do about China? And I think this is where you see actually quite big differences. So Biden says, yes, America is back. Um, uh, you know, force for good, force for international cooperation. Uh, but if you listen to Merkel, you get the sense is, is it really back? You know, you know, maybe let's give it some time. And Macron uh, basically said, well, look, America is uh, a Pacific power. Uh, we need to take care of Europe, uh, European strategic autonomy, go. So I think there is quite a disagreement on the first one. On China, Biden was inviting Europe to join this value-based uh, struggle with authoritarians between de democracies and authoritarians in this uh, historic inflection point. His words, not mine. Uh, while Merkel barely mentioned this, yes, she identified China as one of the issues in Russia, um, but she meant, you know, she focused not on democracy, but on multilateralism. While Macron didn't say anything about China in his in his opening statement. And even on Russia, um, where, you know, Biden outlined uh, basically a, a, an agenda of uh, competition with a little bit of cooperation on arms control. Uh, both Merkel and Macron were talking about, well, look, we have, we have problems, but we need the dialogue with Russia. So I think those three uh, points actually see quite a bit of discrepancy between three arguably the you know, arguably most important transatlantic leaders. Yeah, Garima, on, on China, I think it's interesting. A lot of people noted Macron's lack of mention of China or any significant mention of um, China. What was your reading on comparing the positions? Mm. I was wondering if the MSC people should have circulated these speeches or, you know, if the speechwriters could think about what the other person would talk about, because I think they were very disparate and they perhaps could have been coordinated better. Because what Biden underlined, I think you mentioned the German newspapers were all talking about America is back. What the 
headline should have been was strategic competition with China is the main priority. This was such an important thrust of his speech, of his remarks. Everything was framed around it. It was really clear to see, you know, what he's prioritizing. Um, and uh, this sort of the, the sort of the importance of the China challenge for American foreign policy was key. Um, I think on the approach to dealing with China, I would slightly disagree with what Michal was saying. I think it's less so, I think Biden framed it less so in this in the sense of sort of democracies versus authoritarian governments. He did talk about it as a broad alliance of like-minded partners. And in this sense, his approach is so much bigger, broader, um, and he has an idea of dealing with the China competition on several fronts, because what I found interesting is that he said, we can't deal with the competition with China alone. We need to coordinate among transatlantic partners, but also allies in the Indo-Pacific. And in that sense, his speech wasn't your traditional Munich Security Conference speech. It was aimed at a bigger audience. You could look at it as um, sort of a list of foreign policy priorities for the Biden administration at large. And compared to that focus, the really narrow focus of both Merkel and Macron was really jarring. And I feel perhaps, you know, maybe they could have exchanged some notes before um, <laughs> in the sense of, you know, where is Biden going to, going to focus on? Because Merkel, we saw this, you know, very narrow, near neighborhood focused speech. She did talk about China, but she said, you know, we'll have our differences with the United States. We should be able to talk about them. And she spoke about the China competition at the level of international institutions. Macron, as Michel mentioned, he didn't even mention China, which is really curious because the French Navy is sending an amphibious ready group, ARG, to the Indo-Pacific, you know, as he was speaking. And that they will, it will transit through the South China Sea twice. So if they wanted to, they could have really responded to Biden's idea of connecting these different pieces and responding to the China question on several levels with different instruments. But I think I was really jarring because they were just focusing on different uh, um, levels of, you know, dealing with this whole competition. Yeah, especially, I mean, as you said, you pointed out, I mean, uh, Merkel used the term I think Interessengleichheit, like they're, you're not going to have the same interests all the time um, in in confronting China, which was a sort of, I thought it was a note that she meant uh, to sort of land as it did. And then by Macron, not really talking about China. I mean, he really talked about the neighborhood and, and uh, Middle East and North Africa. Um, so as you said, you know, whereas Biden took this a lot about democracy and global democracy and global partners in this um, competition, I think he he framed it as a competition as opposed to a kind of confrontation with China. And then, you know, Merkel was sort of in between and Macron was very much uh, focusing on European neighborhood. But that also, Stephen, I mean, that was also his message, right? Was sort of uh, the U.S. is going to still be busy in the Indo-Pacific. Um, what we need to do is the same thing that I said we needed to do when Trump was in power, which is take care of our neighborhood. So let me talk about our neighborhood, right? That was, that felt, um, you know, probably wasn't on purpose because indeed they didn't seem like they were responding to the speeches, but it almost seemed like it could have been a response to the speech. Um, 
what was the reception in in DC or your reception of it, Stephen? Did it seem also jarring that France focused so narrowly on the European neighborhood? Um, I, so I, without speaking for kind of the broader policy community here, I mean, I think my own my own take on it was is if you if you assume to to listen to three different discrete speeches on how each of these countries are thinking about the security situation, these are the three speeches you would get. Um, and so I think taking it for what it's worth, that they did not interact, they were not set up to interact. So it's really hard, I think, to extrapolate the differences. But I do think, to Michael's point and, and to some of the things Garima has said, um, it does at least allow us to understand the lens that each of each of these leaders are thinking about these questions. And that itself can be instructive. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fair point that the speech that, that President Biden made was a very broad speech. It was about multilateralism. It was about democracy. It was about systemic competition. But it was also about Europe and it was also about NATO. I mean, he, he you know, strongly recommitted to Article 5 in his speech. I mean, he was trying to do many things at once. Again, like, I think which was true with the defense ministerial. Again, this is an introduction, I think, of the administration to the world. Um, and to our partners and allies, uh, and and that's what this stage was. Um, on on Macron and Merkel's speeches, um, I think it tracks. If if we just look at the longer the longer conversation that preceded Biden's administration, again, I think this is what you would expect. I think that you would expect Macron to talk about the neighborhood and the neighborhood, particularly where France has the most interest. I think you would have conversations about strategic autonomy without getting into the theological differences on what that means. Um, and I think that there's actually re receptivity in American foreign policy circles to Europe doing more. Um, the question was becomes, what does that look like? Um, and so there, I think there are questions about what wasn't said, um, as well as, as maybe what was said. I, I, I would actually say some of the more concerning differences, I think, were on Russia policy and really how we, we think about Russia in the Euro-Atlantic area. And it seemed to me that that particularly Macron's um, speech, when he kind of went through the points of priorities, that wasn't necessarily lumped in with the challenges facing Euro-Atlantic security. It was more about some of the things we need to do, and that's fine find ways to dialogue um, more constructively with Russia, which I think is true, but I think that there's also a clear deterrence um, and security challenge issue that maybe he did not address. Um, and I think on Merkel's speech, I think it was in the middle. It was some cautious pragmatism given what Germany has experienced over the last four years. I think that there are evident divergences on um, exactly how to tackle global challenges like China. And some of those will be, I think, the challenging conversations that need to be had going forward. But again, I think these three speeches, they kind of set the table um, um, for us going forward. Um, yeah, Michal, I'm going to give the last word to you on the Russia question, right? Because the Russia question is is a very important transatlantic and European security question, uh, specifically for Poland. So, um you know, from where you sit, how did you read the differences in the in the discussion on Russia? Mm -hmm. So Biden was very clear. I mean, this is an agenda of competition. Uh, bad Russia 
that does bad stuff in the neighborhood, that does bad stuff in the United States, in, including the, the recent cyber attack. Um, uh, he mentioned uh, the importance of uh, territorial integrity of Ukraine, all, you know, all, all on message. Um, and while I think Macron is the sort of other side that um, that Russia wasn't even mentioned as a challenge, which was by 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 Merkel, but Macron, uh, President Macron, mentioned the the, the word of um, new security architecture in Europe. Now he actually then said, "What I meant to say is the new strategic concept. A new strategic concept is perfectly fine." while the new strategic uh, new security architecture is something that the Russians have been using for a very long time to signal that they need to be also included in the European uh, security architecture. Right. It's a kind of code word or code phrase for, you know, some alternative to NATO that would include Russia. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a huge no-no, actually for everyone, including the Poles for sure, uh, but also the Germans and, uh, and, 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 and Americans. And of course, Macron has been on the forefront of the dialogue uh, uh, with, with Russia. He, in fact, has been basically, I think his answer to the European security is, okay, US is moving to Asia. We're going to have strategic autonomy in Europe. We'll deal with that capabilities with the South and with the East. We're going to have some kind of deal with Russia. Uh, and that's, of course, you know, all the possible red lights in my capital will uh, line up. Uh, I mean, people have not been necessarily writing this this way about it, but you can definitely uh, read uh, read that between the lines. And of course, Merkel also emphasized dialogue with Russia while pointing out to the fact that Russia has not been particularly helpful uh, and useful to European Union, you know, referring to this to this terrible trip of High Representative Borrell, where he was embarrassed uh, by Wavrov. So, uh, you know, um, from Warsaw's perspective, I feel like Americans still got our backs uh, and and I'll be a little bit worried about the, you know, the views that we are seeing uh, in, in Paris and, and Berlin, even though, of course, there is the Nord Stream 2 looming, which was not mentioned by anyone. Um, during the speeches, although it would be really great fun. And if uh, a Polish representative would be there, it would certainly be mentioned. <laughs> yes, that would have been uh, in one speech at least. Yeah, Nord Stream 2 uh, was, a, was another thing that wasn't mentioned. Uh, and even though the former foreign minister of Germany, Sigmar Gabriel from the SPD, I think two days before Munich, um, you know, had a quote saying like, Nord Stream 2 is none of America's business and they should just get out of it. Um, he nonetheless gave uh, Biden's speech very high marks. So um, now we'll see. The next time they talk, they will have read or heard the speeches of each other um, and they will be potentially directly referencing them. So um, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here with all of these, you know, is it dialogue with Russia or something else? And did we really mean security architecture? Probably not. But uh, if it happens again, then I guess we'll know it's meant. Um, and uh, we'll see when we start to kind of uh, finalize the details of what it means, America's return to the transatlantic alliance um, and where the interests, you know, align or converge. But I think it's going to be some interesting uh, weeks and months ahead, and I will probably have you all back on the line uh, sooner rather than later. 
for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. 